It'd be worth keeping that that passage open in front of you as we uh, look through that together now. A few of you might be aware, last night was the Champions League final. Uh, Liverpool against Tottenham, not a great game, but a a good night if you are a Liverpool fan. Uh, It's the last club game of the season. And so for those of you not so interested in football, I'm thinking of of my wife, but I'm sure there's others, you might think, well, thank goodness that the football is out the way for a bit. Uh, But I'm here to tell you that you'd be very wrong if that was your your attitude, because it is now the transfer season. Uh, The transfer window is open at the time when players are bought and sold, the times when newspapers make up all sorts of rumors about who is going where. Uh, The time of year when you become convinced uh, that some South American teenager who you've seen for about 45 seconds on YouTube is the answer to all of your team's problems. Uh, It's kind of like a soap opera for football fans. It's a a good time of the year. Uh, But the thing that you'll see again and again, uh, kind of the pinnacle of excitement in the transfer window, is these new signings, uh, if uh, and when that they finally arrive, being paraded about in their, their new strip, in the kit of the team that they've moved to, decked out from head to toe in the red or, or the white or the blue or, or whatever color it is that they're now going to be lining up in. Social media kind of pages and photos and videos showing the player in their new kit. And that's right, isn't it? It would be a strange press conference if this player turned up in their old kit. Uh, There'd be something seriously wrong if they took to the field uh, still wearing the strip of a team that they don't belong to anymore. Uh, People would start to question, wouldn't they, what's going on here? How kind of committed is this guy? Uh, No, instead, what we see is off with the old, off with any kind of hint of that. And instead, uh, on with the new. And that's what this passage that we're looking at this morning is all about. Uh, That for those of us who've accepted the the truths of the gospel uh, that Paul has been laying out in Ephesians, uh, for those who've put their trust in Jesus uh, and through that been united to God, uh, through that been united to one another, through that been made part of the church, Uh, Paul's emphasis in these verses is to say, look, a a major transfer has taken place here. And we cannot take our old clothing, uh, our old way of life, with us. We have to take off the old. Uh, old habits, old, old patterns of life, old behaviors, old ways of speaking, uh, and instead put on the new. Uh, Paul's kind of message is that Christians aren't called to, to blend in with the world around us, uh, like a chameleon. Uh, but instead to have distinctive lives that, that stand out. Lives that show what team we're on. Uh, lives that show that, that we are different from what we were before. Uh, so that's what we're going to see in this passage. Paul kind of lays out that, that principle, first of all, uh, and then we're going to spend the bulk of the time in the middle of that passage where he gives us uh, examples of what that looks like, and then he wraps things up at the end with the conclusion, uh, reminding us about the, the motivation, uh, about the power behind this change that occurs. So first of all, let's look a little bit more closely at this principle Uh, verses 17 to to 24 and the principle is this it's very simple it's what we've already said it is out with the old and in with the new have a look at verse 17 Paul starts really bluntly he really is insisting on this now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds Uh, What's a Gentile? Uh, Remember, a Gentile was this word used basically for anyone who didn't follow God. 
And it's really important as we get this, it sounds like Paul's been quite harsh on the Gentiles here. It's really important to remember that a significant proportion of this church in Ephesus had been Gentiles. This is a church full of people who had been idol worshippers, who'd been into kind of magic and things like that, who'd been following witchcraft and everything that goes along with that. That's who these guys had been. Uh, Paul himself has described himself, his ministry is as to preach to the Gentiles. And so when he's calling people not to be like the Gentiles any longer, he's not being, uh, it's not kind of elitism, it's not tribalism, it's not kind of we're better than those people. No, Paul is saying, look, this is who the, what you were like, that is the, the old self, but now no longer are you like that. Uh, Paul's instruction is that they're to be distinct not only from the people around them, uh, but also from the, distinct from the people that they used to be. Why is that? Well, it's because a change has happened. Now, because of that, it is out with the old and it is in with the new. And it's the same for us today. Uh, this teaching of, of Ephesians for, for the church today in, in Scotland is to say that if we follow Jesus, then we are not supposed to just be like the world around us. That if we follow Jesus, we're not supposed to be the same people that we were before that was the case. Uh, just the same as for this church in, in Ephesus. For us, it's, it's to be out with the old and in with the new. That, that in following Jesus, a major change has happened. And yet, as we begin again laying out this principle, it's so important that we understand the direction of this change. So what's Paul speaking about? He's talking about kind of taking off the old, putting on the new. Uh, the picture is that kind of picture of clothing, really. It's that picture, you know, standing at the wardrobe, uh, taking off kind of manky old clothes, chucking them in the bin, and instead taking out something that is new and clean. Uh, it's a picture speaking about what's on the outside. It's a picture speaking about what is seen. Um, really, it's to do with our behavior that Paul's speaking. And yet he's really keen to stress that this change begins much deeper than that. Paul's really keen to make sure we know it's a change on the inside which means that we have to change what's on the outside to match up with that. It's that change on the inside that comes first. What does Paul say is the ultimate problem for the Gentiles? Now, what does the Bible say is that it's kind of the root issue for, for people who aren't Christians? Well, it's not to do with, with what they're doing so much. In verse 18, it boils down to a, a hardness of heart. It comes down to the fact that their heart is hard. Because of that, they've, they've rejected God. Because of that, they're alienated from him. And then because of that separation, they're, they're darkened in their understanding, Paul says. It, it means they don't uh, grasp the truth of how life works in relation to God. And therefore, into verse 19, their lives are marked by sensuality. Uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Can, can you see the kind of the pattern, the, the direction there? It's from the inside out, isn't it? It's ultimately if our hearts are hard to God, that these steps then through the mind, through our actions, lead to these other behaviors, sensuality, impurity. Uh, these are quite general terms, but the general idea behind them is kind of physical things that we look to for satisfaction. These are things that we hope will make us feel good. And what does Paul say about these? That, that we're greedy for these. Uh, the idea is constantly wanting more. And why does he say that? Well, it's because ultimately uh, these things cannot satisfy. 
Uh, we look for our satisfaction anywhere other than a, a relationship with God, and, and we're not able to find it. All of these things that we kind of strive after, whether it's money or, or power or relationships, whatever it is, we end up saying, well, just, just maybe one more, or, or maybe this time, or maybe if I just go a bit deeper. Uh, but ultimately, this, this sensuality, this impurity, it never satisfies, it never works. Uh, it always leaves us wanting more. And Paul's point is that something has to change. And that change happens just as the problem uh, works from the inside out. So that change has to be from the inside out as well. That's the, that is the direction uh, that this happens. And I want to say kind of really clearly here, uh, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, we're absolutely delighted uh, that you're here. I just want to make really clear um, to say that we're not here to try and kind of force a behavioral change on people. Uh, the point of the church isn't to say, look, here's a mold that you need to squeeze yourself into. Uh, the message of the Bible, the message of the church, the message of the gospel is to say that through Jesus, there is a real way for us to be connected to God. That through Jesus, we can be no longer alienated, no longer separated from him. Uh, as a church, that is what we want to point people towards, that ultimate, that ultimate uh, cure. The start of that change, of knowing God, that the deepest change there is, and that as our hearts then are open to God, as that relationship is made possible, and then that will change what the rest of our lives look like. And that's what Paul then speaks about, out with the old and then in with the new, and how that change begins on the inside. Verses 22 to 24, we're called to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, it's that inner renewal that, that Paul speaks about in our spirits, in our minds. It's that understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, that is what moves us on uh, to put on this new, this kind of new clothing, this new behavior. Uh, that is what moves us to live in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. I think again of that footballer signed for, for his new team. He doesn't um, belong to that team because he's wearing the strip. He's wearing the strip because he now belongs to that team. Uh, that change, that, that transfer happens first. I, I can go and buy myself a, a Liverpool strip. Uh, it does not make me a, a Liverpool player. It doesn't earn me uh, Liverpool wages. Sad state of affairs. But uh, in the same way, this change in our behavior, if we just try and kind of bolt that on, on on the outside, that doesn't make us a new person. That doesn't make us right with God. That doesn't earn us a relationship with him. It is because through Jesus, that through trusting in him, we're able to be united to God. That is why we, we live out this, this new life, striving to be who we are in Jesus. And before we go on to this kind of middle section and, and look at what that looks like in a bit more detail, uh, let me just link this to what we talked about last week. Remember, uh, we talked about how uh, the whole church is involved in the work of ministry, that we're all involved in that, uh, that there are different gifts within that, we have different roles to play. Um, but a big part of that, as we kind of move on through chapter 4, a big part of what that looks like building up the church is, is simply living this new life in and around other people. Now, a big part of this is simply living this out, especially around people who don't know Jesus, especially around people who we don't find at church. 
big part of this kind of ministry to the church is simply being prepared to, to live a life that, that sticks out a little bit, uh, live a life that shows there's been a change, uh, live a life that prompts people to ask questions. And in all of this, uh, in response to that, not being able to point to behaviors and say, yes, you should do this like I do this, uh, but instead point to the God who, who makes this new life possible. So there we go, that's the principle, out with the old, in with the new. That starts with the heart, uh, that starts with a relationship with Jesus. Uh, But how then does it work itself out in kind of the nitty gritty of day-to-day life? What is this new behavior uh, that we put on that comes with this new life in Jesus? And we're going to see here four examples that Paul gives. Uh, We'll just look through each one really quickly um, but I think as you, we look through, we're going to see they're so intensely uh, practical and relevant to us today. Uh, and also, I hope as we look through, you'll notice each one is a kind of a, a stop doing this. There's a take off the old self. Uh, but then there's, there's more than that. There's also and start doing this, put on the new self. Uh, there's this taking off and there is this, this putting on. So let's have a look uh, through four of these. The first one, verse 25, is no more falsehood, Paul says. Put away falsehood. And instead, putting on, speaking the truth to one another. What a great uh, example this is. What a kind of day-to-day thing we face, isn't it? It's so easy for us to be kind of economical with the truth. Uh, It's so easy for us to present things as we'd like them to be rather than how they actually are. Uh, It's so easy for us to talk in a way that makes it look like we've got it all together, uh, a way that covers up our mistakes. Paul says here, stop being false with each other. Put that off. And yet he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't say, you know, stop lying, just sit quietly, sit in silence. No, he says, stop lying and tell the truth because we're members of one another. Because the church is united together. Because the church is founded on the gospel, then we're able to speak the truth to each other. We're able to speak even what we might think of as those ugly truths. Those truths that don't really show us in the best light. Those truths that we'd rather kind of tuck away and keep covered up. Uh, The church should be a place where more than anywhere else we we can be real with each other about what's going on. Where we can do that safe in the knowledge that we're not going to be judged by other people, but we'll be loved. The church is the place where where we can reveal things. Uh, That doesn't mean having to kind of stand up here at the front and kind of tell everyone our our deepest, darkest secrets. But it does mean that we should have some people that we can be honest with, that we're prepared to speak to. Uh, That might be something that these prayer triplets will help with. That might already be relationships that you've got within the church. That might be kind of people that you need to seek out. Uh, The new self is able to have that honesty uh, with one another. Because our our value isn't found on, on keeping up this pretense that we're a really good person. Uh, but it's based on the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Uh, that forgiveness that we all know that, that we all need. And so that we're members of one another. United, to the, united by the gospel. Uh, and so putting off falsehood. And instead putting on uh, telling the truth to one another. Uh, example number two, verse 26. Uh, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. It's often been pointed out here, rightly so, that Paul doesn't say, don't be angry. Uh, Paul says, uh, Paul understands, there are times when we will be angry. Uh, There are times when it's right to be angry. Uh, What we're to put off is sinning in response to being angry. 
And that's what's put, being put off. Be, be angry, but do not sin. And then again, that's actually only half the story. That the putting on then is the second half of that verse. Uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. Uh, Paul's point is to say uh, that if we're to say, I've been angry with that person for weeks, but I have not kind of punched them in the face once, well, actually, that's not quite good enough. That's not quite the standard that Paul's holding us to. That's putting off uh, a sinful response to anger, but it's not putting on uh, this new self that seeks after peace. Uh, There's a brilliant line in one of Robert Burns' poems uh, which speaks about a wife, I'll just say it in a kind of an English accent, I'm not going to try and put on the, the Robert Burns voice. Uh, it speaks about a wife sitting at home, uh, gathering her brows like gathering storm, nursing her wrath to keep it warm. Uh, I just think that idea of nursing your wrath to keep it warm is so incredibly vivid and real, isn't it? Uh, we feel kind of, when we feel righteously angry, uh, we love to keep hold of that. We love to kind of nurse that, to feed it, to hold on to it. And we might never plant it to kind of use it, to act on it, uh, but it gives us that sense of superiority. It gives us that sense of, of self-righteousness. It enables us to look down on people that we're rightly angry with. It reminds us that they've done things wrong and we haven't. And yet Paul says that will not do. Paul says that, that keeping anger like that kills the unity of the church. Paul says it gives the devil that, that kind of crack in the door that he can crowbar open and, and split everything apart. And instead, Paul's teaching here, and it's really difficult, is that we need to be able to put that anger aside. Don't let the sun go down on our anger. Deal with that anger. And we might be rightly angry, but we're called to, to deal with that, either kind of within ourselves, put ourselves to right, or if needed to, to, to speak to other people, uh, to speak to people involved, but to do that lovingly. It's difficult. Uh, and yet that is this new uh, way of life, speaking peace in the place of anger. Uh, example three, let's keep on kind of rattling through these. Verse 28, uh, let the thief no longer steal, that's the put off, but rather, here's the put on, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, again, the way of living uh, which kind of characterizes the old self it is me first. Happy to, to kind of stretch the rules to benefit ourselves. What does that look like for us? It could be anything, couldn't it? It could be tax things. It could be borrowing things with no intention of ever giving them back. It could be sort of manipulating the system so that we get what we want at the expense of other people. And so instead, we're called to put on this attitude which is willing, instead of stealing, instead of taking what we, we haven't earned, uh, to work hard. And yet notice, even that isn't just for ourselves. It's not work hard so that you can get your own stuff. It's so that we can serve others. It's so that we've got something to share. And we put off this, this selfish attitude, us at the expense of others, uh, and put on this selfless attitude working for the sake of others. And there are so many around us who are in need. Often we're, we're blind to that. Often we're, we're willfully blind to that. We don't want to see that. Uh, how distinctive would it be uh, if we were looking for those needs and looking to help them, even if that requires work and effort on our own part? Uh, one of our values as a church is to be a, a serving community. 
Uh, that doesn't just mean the church kind of organizing lots of things to, to do for other people. It's each one of us having this attitude where we look to give rather than take. Where we're willing to work hard, not just to kind of build our own bank balances or, or build our own uh, sort of security or whatever, but work hard in order to share with those in need. And there are so many people in need. Uh, the last example, number four, verse 29, uh, put off corrupting talk and instead put on uh, the kind of speech that builds people up, that encourages each other, that, that ultimately points people to Jesus. Now, it's so easy, isn't it, for us to get involved in gossip. That's just as easy inside the church as it is outside the church. Uh, it's so easy for us to kind of slide into to bad language. It's so easy for us to speak harshly about people. Uh, to speak about, to use words about people that we would never think of using if they were standing there in front of us. Why is it so easy? Well, it's because what, it, that's what everyone does. That's the way of the world. It's because that's the way that we used to live, where we can use what we say to kind of cut others down in order to kind of lift ourselves up above them. And yet the new way of life is the opposite. It's not simply, as my mum used to say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And I'm sure we've all heard that. Paul goes beyond that to say, well, what can I say that will encourage this person? And what gifts do I see in that person that I can thank them for? Uh, who can I see that looks a bit low and looks like they could do with a chat? Who do I see who looks a bit lonely and looks like they could do with a friend to speak with? Uh, in all of these situations, I'm sure you'll know as well as I do, it is always easier not to. Uh, I often feel like my mind is kind of perfectly attuned to make up excuses not to do these things. It's sort of the excuse before I've even thought of the thing uh, that I could do that was nice. There's already this excuse there waiting for it. And yet to put on this new life is marked not only by not bringing people down with what we say, but by going further than that, putting ourselves out in order to build others up. And so those are the four examples uh, Paul gives. We, we could have spoken for, for weeks about each one of those, couldn't we? Uh, and I'd encourage you, do you think about those a little bit more? Maybe ask someone after the service, uh, which one do you find most challenging? Uh, what does that look like for you? What are the things where we're kind of battling to put off the old and put on the new? Uh, all of Paul's letters are written to the churches. It's written to kind of collectives. These are things that we strive to do together. Uh, but I hope, even as we've just scratched the surface of those four different examples, uh, that you can see, whether, whether you're, this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, that you can see that that paints an incredibly attractive picture of life. That it paints an incredibly attractive picture of a, a community. That as it's summarized in, in verse 31, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander are put away with all malice. And in their place, this new life, characterized in verse 32, by being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Isn't that what all of us would like to be more like? Isn't that what all of us would like to have as kind of characteristics that describe us, characteristics that describe our relationships, that describe our communities? As Paul kind of lays this out, it's an incredibly attractive picture when we think about it. It's a great invitation for us to be able to hold out. I hope as a church that we are in some way growing in how we live this out. 
and that these characteristics are starting to uh, reflect us or that we're starting to reflect these characteristics more and more, that we do see this attitude in others and that others would see it in us. Uh, I hope as we look through this, it comes across as really, as really attractive, but I'm sure it will also have come across uh, as incredibly difficult. Uh, each one of these examples, incredibly difficult to keep. That's so difficult, in fact, we say, well, well, how is this even possible? That sounds great, and I'm sure it would be brilliant if we were like that, but I know myself, you know, I fall short of that standard. It's so hard. Well, well that brings us to Paul's conclusion where we'll finish, and, and Paul's conclusion is this, that he reminds us that these are not just attitudes or, or ways of life that we can muster up in our own strength. But these are ways of life which are only possible through the gospel. That as we said right at the beginning, that these are the clothes, these are the behaviors that, that follow that new relationship with God. That that change has to be from the inside out. It begins with the heart. And so verse 32, that's why we're able to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, because, Paul says, God in Christ forgave us. And it's when we know that forgiveness, it's when we really think about it, when we kind of meditate on it, when we live out of that forgiveness, that is when we're able to have that same attitude toward other people. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, it's as we live as God's children, as we remember God as our heavenly Father and, and all that Jesus did to make that possible, that is how we, we imitate him, that we're able to love as Christ loved us. And what does that love look like? It looks, isn't it, as we've seen in those different examples that, that Paul lays out, it looks like a, a sacrificial love. Uh, chapter 5, verse 2, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a, a fragrant offering and, and sacrifice to God. Uh, to be imitators of God means to imitate that sacrificial love. It means not only to imitate that in kind of big, spectacular, kind of splendid ways that make the news, but also to imitate that, that sacrificial love in the nitty-gritty, in the day-to-day -day life, in the conversations that we see with people uh, where we live. So as we imitate that sacrificial love, that we are free to, to deal generously with people in all sorts of different ways. Uh, even when that means that we don't get what we deserve. Why? Because we're secure in what Christ has given to us. Our forgiveness, our relationship with him and with God as our Heavenly Father. Uh, I hope as a, as a church that we are able to, to you know, build a community that people can come and enjoy being part of, not just on a, on a Sunday, but uh, as a church, as a kind of community, uh, keen to be involved in each other's lives and the lives of the wider community throughout the week. Uh, I do hope as that happens, as we feel we can kind of invite people along, as we get to meet people, as we live out this life among them, that there's something kind of attractive there that draws people in. Uh, that there's something attractive in, in a church community based on the gospel. Uh, but I do hope that this kind of attractiveness, this church, this community is always pointing to Jesus as the one who makes that possible. Uh, this church is not uh, and never will be kind of the, the hero of the story. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is the hero. Uh, without Jesus, this church ha has no foundation. Without Jesus, this all falls down. Uh, without him, none of this kind of attractive way of life that Paul's been laying out is possible. 
And yet with him, we find where we are able gradually, slowly, often far more slowly than we'd like, but we are able to put off the old self. We are able to strive to leave behind our old patterns of life, uh, behaviors, speech, uh, thoughts, uh, and instead, as Paul says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, this new self, which is kind and tender-hearted and forgiving, uh, which in the nitty-gritty details of life points to Jesus Christ, who is perfectly kind and tender-hearted and forgiving toward us. That our life uh, would point people towards the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And that in response to that, we would be willing, we would be able to love others and to give ourselves up for them in whatever form, however big, however small that might take.